Lord God, we know that you are our foundation. We know that you're the rock upon which we stand. You are the only sure thing that we can rely upon. Father, if there is darkness that comes around us, if there is trouble, if there's anxiety, impatience, uncertainty, worry, then Lord God, this morning, may we stand upon you as our rock. In our life, Father, may we surrender. Lord, may we not try and hold the walls ourselves. May we try not to hold the ceiling above us. But instead, may we place our faith and trust in you. Our God who can carry any weight. He can carry any burden. And in fact, with what Jesus did at the cross, we can be light. We can be free. So this morning, if there is something you wish to hand over to him, let him take it. Because he wants to take it from you. He doesn't want you to walk with that weight. He doesn't want you to journey with that. It is by his freedom that we can live. It's when we die to our flesh that we are truly free. It's when we surrender and say, God, you can actually do it for me. I don't have to do this on my own. I don't have to do this in my own strength. Father, take this worry from me. So, Lord God, this morning I pray a prayer by your Spirit that this takes place in your house. That, Father, if there is worry or fear or anxiety or uncertainty, Father, I ask that you'd remove that weight, Father. That we may dwell upon your rock with seas, with raging oceans around us, storms, winds. Father, may we stand firm knowing the freedom that we live knowing the lightness that we can live in. Father, we thank you for your power. And Lord God, we thank you that you're, you're the, you are the one true God. There is no other God that promises to do this. There is no other God that can do this. You are the only thing. It's not by our strength. It's not by the strength of stars or rocks. But Father, it's by your strength alone that we are free. Lord God, we pray that you be in these words, Father, that come before your congregation and your people now. Father, guide me as I speak. And Father, may there be truth. May there be enlightening, Lord God. And may your glory come from what takes place here this morning. Thank you, Father, for the band and what they've done and how they continue to serve you effortlessly, almost, it seems, effortlessly. But I know there is effort. There is effort that goes into what takes place. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for this time of worship that we had. Amen. Amen. You may take your seats. Thanks, Sean. So this morning... I felt led, well, not just this morning, but in preparation leading into this in the week, 
I really felt led to Daniel. Initially, it was, it was Daniel in the lion's den, but then I felt the Spirit kind of calling me just to read the rest of Daniel, just to get a bit of context and see what's going on. But it's just, it just seems to have fit so well in what God's doing this morning, especially talking about being on a firm foundation, being on a rock, placing our trust in God. Daniel is the perfect example, and I think he's got a lot to show us. There are were, there were, there were multiple stories throughout Daniel, but I'm only going to focus on three. And because obviously in Daniel, you also have the, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're in the furnace. We know this story. We know a lot of these stories that I'm going to share this morning, but I want to focus mostly on the ones that are concerning Daniel. And I think there's a lot to take from him because this guy was a man of faith. This guy believed in dark times. He believed in times it was hard to be a Christian. It was hard to be someone who believed in God. And as we go through this, you're going to find out the faith that this man had. You see, at the start of Daniel, we hear that Babylon besieges Judah, God's nation, God's country. God allows this to take place. He uses King Nebuchadnezzar. He actually uses King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon at the time. And he actually conquers Judah. And we see that King Nebuchadnezzar takes a few Israelites. Now, these weren't just irregular Israelites. These were people who showed promise. These were young people. These were people who were going to be one day potential future leaders. He selects a few. And he gets them to come and live in his palace. He gets them to come live and eat his food. And over three years, he trains them, he teaches them, but not in the ways of God. It is in the ways of Babylon, the ways that he, they want to live. They want to, they want to basically enculturate the Israelites to strip God from their core belief system. So what they, their thought process was, okay, we're going to train up these future promising leaders and we're going to get them to try and teach our morals upon God's people so we don't actually have to worry about the power of God and the, the God that led them out of Egypt and the God, we're just going to try and remove him altogether. But this kind of backfires. This whole enculturation process doesn't, doesn't really work. So Daniel, right at the start, he says, I don't want to eat your food. I, I actually don't want to eat your food. Like, I, I actually don't want to defile myself is what he said to the king. I don't want to defile myself, so I don't want to eat your food, I don't want to drink your wine, but I will, I will just eat vegetables. I will, I will happily eat vegetables. So the king's like, well, no, you're not going to be healthy, you're not going to be okay. So Daniel comes across and says, fine, let's test this. I'll eat nothing but vegetables for 10 days, and you guys can eat what you're going to eat for 10 days, and we'll see who comes out better off. And of course, Daniel comes out all right. Now, I'm not here testifying to the fact of being a vegan's, you know, the way to go here, but God, was, God had a point, didn't he? Now, I love meat, and I love it more than anything else, but it said here, the king found, the king found they were 10 times better. Ten to, it says it was, they were 10 times, he, he thought they were 10 times more healthy than the people eating meat. Just a, just a side note to add into that. Now, obviously, I think this more so ties into what we call the Daniel Fast, right? So the Daniel Fast is where you're mostly eating greens and vegetables and, you know, it's not necessarily a pleasant way to live unless you are vegetarian or vegan. But, yeah, it's not for everyone. So, big story number, so obviously we, this is the kind of lead up, right? So Daniel's kind of come across and said, no, nah, actually, I'm not going to defile myself with your food or your wine. And he's from the get-go, sets himself apart from what King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do. So the first story here is, is in, when Daniel interprets King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, right? He doesn't just interpret one dream, he interprets two, but we'll get there in a minute. So the wise men, King Nebuchadnezzar has this bizarre dream. 
It's bizarre. It's unusual, right? It's, it's, it's not normal. It's not easy to guess. And King Nebuchadnezzar comes out and says, the, basically, the wise men fail to not only interpret the dream, but King Nebuchadnezzar wants them to say, just, just to prove that they know what they're talking about, tell me what dream I had, and then you can interpret it. So they can't just pull some willy-nilly interpretation out of the wind. They first have to actually tell King Nebuchadnezzar what it is. So, lo and behold, nobody knows. The, the wise men of that say, like, oh, we, we can't tell you what your dream is. So it's like, okay, in that case then, if no one can tell me, I'm going to kill you all. And you'll be dead. So obviously Daniel catches wind of this and he's like, oh, hey, hold up a minute. Give me a chance. Just at least give us a chance. So Daniel seeks out God and God tells him. In the night, God shows him. And it says here in uh, Daniel 2, verses 17 to 30, God reveals Nebuchadnezzar's dream to Daniel. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, who were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and upsets kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who understand. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows that it is in the dark. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Verse 24. Therefore Daniel went to Ar- uh, what is it? Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me to the king and I will show you the king's interpretation. Then Arioch brought Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, Whose name was whose whose name the king declared to Daniel whose name was Belshazzar that's what they called him when they gave him a new name basically they gave him all new names are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen that I have seen and its interpretation Daniel answered the king said no wise men enchanters magicians or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked but sorry I've lost my place there. The king has asked, but is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days? Your dream, uh, your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed come, came thoughts of what would be after this and who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. Verse 30. But, for, but as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of my wisdom or any wisdom that I have uh, more than all, than all the living, but in order that the interpretation of may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. 
So Daniel then goes on to proceed. I'm not going to read like what exactly it is because it's quite an abstract dream, but it goes on to predict the future of King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Daniel predicts this. Nobody else can do it. And it's only because of God that he's been given this. Daniel's position is then elevated, right? He's instantly promoted above all the wise men. He's instantly promoted to such a high position because he had God working through him. So he then in chapter 4 goes to interpret another dream. But in reality, this dream was not so nice for King Nebuchadnezzar. In 12 months, the interpretation came true. And the interpretation that Daniel gave was that he was going to be driven from among men and to eat grass like an ox and his body would be wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew long and his nails were like bird's claws. This came true. This just... King Nebuchadnezzar, it says in, in, at the end of Daniel 4, King Nebuchadnezzar was walking on a roof. And he says, oh, how great I am that I've built this kingdom. How great is Babylon? How good am I? And he received this warning 12 months ago. 12 months later, God's like, okay, that's enough. He says, you have not listened to me. You have not taken heed from what Daniel has told you. And he put him in a field and he stayed there. It, eventually, he turns to God and God sets him free from this. But Daniel, Daniel didn't just come upon this with nothing. Daniel was ready. Daniel was prepared. Daniel was ready to believe in God. He knew enough about God to say, actually, no, I'm going to stand against this. Daniel was prepared. You don't just, I don't know. I've got to be careful what I say because I think you have, if you have the heart of a child, I believe that, yes, you can come to God and say, let God, let let me serve you. Let me do whatever because your heart is so open. You're so, you're so willing to receive what God has. But as we get older, I feel like sometimes we limit that. Especially I find with life for me personally, like I can fill my life with busy things. So I'm distracted more and more and more and more I'm finding I have to try and push these distractions away to be able to listen to God. Daniel was ready. Daniel... Daniel didn't know that he was going to be interpreting these dreams. Daniel didn't know what was coming, and we don't know what is coming ahead of our life either. But God still calls us to be prepared. Nobody, nobody can predict the future by ourselves, right? I mean, you can go to those tents at the Wollonga Market, and they can read your palms and all this funny stuff. But at the end of the day, nobody knows. And so we're still called to, it doesn't mean to say we don't be ready. So it doesn't mean to say we, we, we just meander through life and we, we ignore God's word or we say, oh, you know, that's something I can deal with tomorrow. That's a later, that's a later problem. That's a later day. Oh, I will get better. Or eventually I will start praying more. Or We've got to try, and I know it's, it, it's not an easy thing to say because I, I struggle with this too, as we all do. We need to be able to push aside the distractions, and say, God, I'm going to choose you first. And then once God has prepared you in that season, He will elevate you. He will move you forward and you will progress. But first, you need to set the foundation. You need to set the foundation first. And this is what happened with Daniel. So then, obviously, Daniel reads, uh, interprets his second dream. And then King Nebuchadnezzar dies and his son Belshazzar is now old enough. What happens here is, is Daniel reads the writing on the temple, in the wa- of, on the wall in the temple. All right? So Daniel reminds Belshazzar about his dad. Because what happens is, is Belshazzar, they basically, when they besieged Judah, they took everything out of the temple. They stripped all the gold, they stripped all the cups, they stripped all the ornaments, everything of value. And now... 
they're using this at a party. They're using all the cups, they're using all the goblets and all these things that are important to God and the Israelites of the time and had significance and they're just, I don't know, using them, disgracing them, I guess. But Daniel proceeds to say to Belshazzar in verse 22, And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you know all this, but you have lifted up against you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of your house, of his house, sorry, have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drank wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God who is in heaven hands wait sorry but the god whose hands is yours and those and whose are all your days have sorry I'm not rereading out this morning sorry about this you have honored verse 24 then from his presence the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed and this is what was written that was inscribed mene mene tekel and parish this is the interpretation of the matter. And sorry, this is Daniel talking right now. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Pierce, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar came to command, gave the command, and Daniel was clothed in purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made to him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the king, was killed. The Darius and Darius, the Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom being about 62 years old. In this, we see that Daniel displayed the boldness to say what was right. He was brought before a party. He was brought before a group of people that were important. And as something, what we would now see something as being potentially a little bit trivial, he's had the courage to stand up and say, no, you've actually done the wrong thing. To the king's face, he said, do you remember what I said to your father? Do you, have you forgotten? And he puts, his, he puts his finger down and said, what you've done here is wrong. And again, with his boldness, the king promoted him. And the king understood where he was coming from. Not because what Daniel was was just this mighty human. It's because God that was working within him worked through Belshazzar, worked through the leaders, worked through the people. If you, I don't know, if someone comes and tells you what you're doing is wrong and you're doing the wrong thing and it's kind of what comes across to be quite a harsh judgment towards you. I feel like my, my, one of my personal things I can jump to straight away is being defensive. And this didn't take place. And this was a king. And not just any king. This was an ungodly king. And Daniel, Daniel could have been put to death for this, speaking against the king in this way. But instead, God had his hand upon what Daniel had to say. And sometimes we do have to say hard things. In front of people we may not want to say it in front of. This happens to me more than often at work. Work it takes it takes a lot of courage to speak Christ at work. Now every work situation is different. 
right? Everybody's life is different. Whether your circles are different, right? But there are circles that are harder to talk about Christ than others. Obviously, this is quite an easy circle to talk about Christ, I would like to hope. But as some personally, as someone who works amongst tradies now, as someone who's working amongst people who aren't very spiritually open, or they think they are, but they're not, it's really hard to share the promise of Christ with them because they just, they seemingly just don't want to hear it. But like Daniel, we can't just say, oh, no, it'll be okay. Nah, you, you can use those. It's, it's really not. They're just cups. It's not going to matter. Instead, no, we've got to kind of come out and say, look, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be gambling on your phone. You shouldn't be... I don't know, I, I, it's hard to stand up here and just proclaim sins, but like, you, you shouldn't be drinking like that. It's not good for you. You shouldn't be doing this or this. You, there's a whole list of things. But sometimes Christ says to us, no, we've actually got to stand against what's not right. It's actually not okay to do that. Now, we can do this in love, and this is where we ask, and it says in the Word of God that when we come across these times, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say, right? If we say, Holy Spirit, God, I don't know what to say right now, Give me the words. He will give you the words. Test him. Like, be brave enough. Test him. Whether it's your friends, whether it's your family, anyone. Test God and say, you know what? I'm actually going to try to say something about this. And it's not easy to do. Finally, so Daniel was prepared. Daniel had the boldness to say what was right. And then in the third story here, we go into Daniel 6. And Daniel survives the lion's den. So Daniel is now told that he cannot pray to his God. The officials, right, who are the other people, like, because Daniel was elevated above, by Darius, was elevated above even the wisest of the wise. Now, he's like second in charge now. Like, he's, he's big dog Daniel, right? The officials corner and press the king to punish Daniel by death. A, decree, a big decree is put out and saying, you know what? Nobody should be allowed to pray to anyone but you. This is what the other leaders come out and say to, to King Darius. And King Darius says, oh, yeah, sounds like a pretty good idea. So they say, okay, let's decree it. So they're the ones the whole time, they're pushing, they're pushing, they're pushing, and they try and trap and capture Daniel, and they follow him, and they realize that Daniel is praying in his room, like he does every time. He, he must have done this out in public before, but now he's, done the, he's doing this in his room. He's prayed three times to God like he usually would. He hasn't changed his habits. He's like, you know what, you can try. To, to belittle me. You can try to belittle my God and how I treat my God and spend time with my God, but I'm going to do this anyway. So they capture him. And then we read in Daniel 6, 16 to 28. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring. And with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. It had nothing to do with his gods, that's for sure. Verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No divisions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the lion's den. As he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried, out in the tongue of, tongue of anguish, the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. 
My God sent his angels and shut the, the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Verse 24, the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast in the den of lions, they and their children and their wives. And being, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all of my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be, shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel, pros so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So Daniel then after this goes on to perform a variety. He has a variety of dreams. He has a variety of interpretations and warnings that he gives to the people of Israel and to Babylon. But in this... Daniel could not be separated from his God. Daniel could not be separated. He, he continued to press in with prayer. He continued to press in in faith and say, you know what, I'm not going to allow this to take me. Now, I really find it hard to believe that he had no fear at all. Like, obviously, there would have been a level of concern going into uh, a lion's den I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen uh, those, like, nature programs and, like, the lions and stuff. Like, they are terrifying. But, like, Daniel had faith. And it wasn't, and as I said, like, it wasn't the king's signet. It wasn't the king's ring and the king's gods that did anything here. The king obviously had his concerns and wanted to do what he could, but it was by the power of God alone that this took place. So, Scott, if you'd like to come up on the keys, mate. And if you guys would like to stand with me, I really want to pray this morning that... We take on a heart of Daniel.